everyone. I'm Vicki Basilica, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at AASHP, and thank you for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional program from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. Omicron variant surge, we were desperate for some help in helping to flatten the curve and keeping our patients out of the hospital. So luckily, December of 2021, the FDA released a couple of new treatment options, two oral antiviral agents, as well as another monoclonal antibody for outpatient use to treat our COVID-19 patients. And these were approved under the Emergency Use Authorization, or EUA. So after these medications became available, they were distributed throughout the states via health departments to our health systems. So essentially overnight, hospitals needed to quickly develop a plan to safely and equitably get these medications to our patients. The main task at hand here was that these medications were in such limited supply and distributed to our hospitals. So we really had to look at what was the task at hand. Firstly, considering just basic medication considerations such as storage, administration for our parenteral agents, making sure there was enough space at infusion centers, having considerations for the unique nature of emergency use medications. All of these medication options had to be administered within a certain day of symptom onset for the patients, so that created a challenge and a question as well. And of course, with them being in such limited supply, how are we going to allocate these to our highest risk folks? Secondly, we needed to make sure we included and thought about all of our key stakeholders. Of course, the patients, they're our end goal. We want to make sure that they don't get admitted to the hospital for COVID-19. And we really involved a multidisciplinary approach, including nurses, physicians, our network leadership, infusion centers, and pharmacists, of course. So lastly, thinking about all of the logistics, we have these medications, very valuable and limited supply. How are we going to allow prescribers to order them? So we needed to figure that out. How would we triage these orders as in such limited supply, allocating them to our highest risk patients? Do we have enough staff and availability at our infusion centers to administer our parenteral options? And lastly, helping to facilitate the dispensing of the oral medications from the supply that we had at our hospital system. Before I get into more of the details of how we went about with this process, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on our health system. So Community Health Network is a large health system serving central Indiana, and we have over 200 sites of care. We have nine main hospitals and seven urgent care locations and countless other primary care and specialty care clinics. We have a robust ambulatory care pharmacy department that includes about 20 pharmacists who practice in primary and specialty areas, and they work under a collaborative practice agreement to manage chronic disease states and provide direct patient care. I apologize for the busy slide, but I will point out just a couple of clinical considerations about these medications that contributed to operational challenges. I've mentioned the limited supply of all of these agents. Really, all of them had a time-sensitive administration window where they had to be given within five to seven days of 
the patient's symptom onset. For IV options, the monoclonal antibodies were a simple one-time dose, whereas the remdesivir, which was used off-label for outpatient use, was given over three days. Additionally, we had some considerations for drug interactions, renal dose adjustments, and other contraindications that we needed to handle with care, notably with our Paxlovid. So as we all know, as pharmacists, we can contribute a lot to our patients and our organizations. So our network leadership actually called upon our ambulatory care pharmacy team to help tackle this challenge and come up with a way to get these outpatient COVID-19 treatments to patients. So obviously with the clinical knowledge, extensive training in patient education and motivational interviewing, the ability to practice team-based care with being such a multidisciplinary service, as well as effective communication strategies, all of these kind of came together and really made sense for the AmCare pharmacist to step up to this. With all the challenges that Sydney kind of presented us initially, we decided as a network that an order form is going to be the best way to kind of tackle some of these issues. So we had a couple goals when we were trying to create this sort of order form. So you can see them here where we want to try to streamline our triage process for pharmacists to review orders, as well as assist in our prescribers to identify high-risk patients and what that means exactly, as well as screen for contraindications to medications, as Sydney mentioned before, especially when we're talking about medications like Paxlovid, where there are significant drug interactions. And lastly, we wanted to make sure that we were able to fulfill the EUA medication prescribing considerations, whether that is appropriate documentation or patient counseling. We're going to get a little clinical here for a second. When we talk about high-risk patients, we're really looking for specific risk factors which will cause these patients to kind of have severe COVID-19 disease and progression to severe disease. So the NIH, or the National Institute of Health, which I think we all know at this point, has two specific kind of categories that we really want to draw on, which are age. So older adults are at greater risk of progressing to severe disease, as well as patients who are unvaccinated or partially vaccinated or who had not received a booster. These are two major categories in which we were finding that these patients were having progression to severe disease. Some other conditions include obesity, patients that were on immunosuppressive medications, and some others listed there, which is not a full list, but just a few. And lastly, also racial and ethnic minority groups who just historically have a lack of access to healthcare and vaccines are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. So some risk factors to take into account. With that, the NIH developed their treatment guidelines. And so they categorize these patients in two different tiers, with tier one being the highest risk of having severe disease and tier four the lowest. So you'll see in tier one and tier two, we have our older patients as well as our unvaccinated patients talked about a little bit earlier, and we'll also see our immunocompromised individuals. So when we look at these treatment guidelines, it makes sense, right? You have high-risk patients, you want to give them medication, but how do we really kind of make that into something that a prescriber can look at and understand and actually implement when they have a patient in front of them. So with that, we wanted to translate that into our order form. And so you'll see an example here of what our prescribers would actually look at. So the first step here in our order form is to basically look for, are there any blatant contraindications for outpatient therapies? We also wanted to look at our date of symptom onset. As Sydney said earlier, these are time-sensitive medications, so it's extremely important to have that initial date to make sure that we can triage these patients appropriately. Next, we're going to look at our vaccination status as well as provide definitions for our severely immunocompromised patients and make sure that providers are able to kind of flag these patients and our pharmacists reviewing are able to identify these patients much more quickly. And then next, we're going to take into some of those other factors that we talked about that have a higher risk for progression to severe disease. Once we've identified kind of the patient demographics and who they are exactly, we're going to go ahead and look into 
our drugs. So right here we can see that Paxlovid was our first line therapy and the reason for that is that it is oral and we'll talk a little bit about kind of our restrictions around infusion capabilities in just a second here. I do want to point out on the slide that we at the time had a contraindication if a patient was pregnant. There is relevant information right now that this is no longer a contraindication and then we have some of the other contraindications to Paxlovid listed here as well. We also made sure to account for any sort of renal dose adjustments that needed to occur for these patients. After our patient was evaluated for Paxlovid, we would go ahead and if they were ineligible, they would be evaluated if they qualify for our monoclonal antibodies. At the time, citrovimab, which switched to bebtilovimab, and if we're keeping up to date, bebtilovimab is no longer a monoclonal antibody that we're using, so none of those, so just remdesivir at this point in time. And so that order form really helped us to kind of tackle our larger question of like, how do we safely and equitably provide medications to our patients? So we had a limited drug supply, so for our entire hospital, we had 25 kits of Paxlovid and 44 doses of citrovimab that we started off with. And you can see that we serve a large population. So how are we gonna get that to our highest risk patients? We had a high volume of orders. So at any given day, we were receiving almost 100 orders for outpatient treatment. And I'm just gonna talk a little bit about infusion capabilities. We had 28 infusion chairs for our entire hospital system. So working with a really tight supply and really tight kind of capability of our entire health system here. And of course, our complex drug considerations as well as time-sensitive therapies all lead to how we tackled our problem next. And Sydney will go ahead and take over from here. So we decided to create a centralized staffing model to help kind of triage the orders and essentially effectively deliver the medication to the patient. So we had a group of ambulatory care pharmacists and we were given a specific workspace from network leadership with computers and phones. We started off with two pharmacists, that would be Hita and I, and we received 100 orders in one day. So we quickly grew our team and very quickly trained a group of 13 pharmacists total within the next weeks to months. We even saw the need to have an evening shift, so we did have one pharmacist who helped cover orders in the evening time. And these were our primary care pharmacists, so they were being pulled from their clinics to help with this. I still thank them very much today for all that they did. Here is an overview of our order triage kind of system. So the provider would complete the order form and they would actually fax the order form to us and it would convert to an email. And then we would review the order form from there and we would make sure it was complete. So ensuring all those blanks were filled in, screen for any contraindications. We had access to most of the patient's charts. So we would look through and make sure looking at renal function, things like that, and then we would apply that NIH criteria to essentially rank the patient's risk level. And then we would kind of decide if they were a candidate for oral or IV therapy and look at, you know, what medications did we have in supply at that moment that was always rapidly changing. And then lastly, we would document in every single patient's electronic health record and communicate our treatment decision back to the ordering provider. So the ordering provider was always kept in the loop. So how did we actually get the medication to the patient? So let's say a patient was eligible for treatment. Going down the line of the parenteral options, we would of course complete that documentation in the chart, send it to the provider, and then we would forward our order form to an infusion center coordinator. And then that coordinator would ensure that we had a spot for the patient to receive either a monoclonal antibody or remdesivir, and an infusion center nurse would contact the patient to schedule it. And then we would scan that order form 
into the chart to serve as documentation. For Paxlovid, this was a lot more heavy on the Amcare pharmacist. So the pharmacist reviewing the patient would actually contact the patient if they were eligible for treatment and provide that education. So explaining to them what the EUA meant, how to take the medication, what to look out for, what we know about it so far. And then they would coordinate pickup from the nearest hospital and would chat with the hospital pharmacist in that day and they would help prepare the medication and then the nurse would actually deliver the patient the medication to their car whenever they arrived from the hospital to keep them from going into the hospital with COVID-19. Lastly, to get that order form into the chart, as when these first came out, we did not have electronic ordering capabilities of Paxlovid because it was so new. So the order form was scanned into the chart to serve as the prescription. So if a patient wasn't eligible for treatment for various reasons, for both of our treatment options, we would simply document into the medical record and send it back to the provider, and we would ask that the provider let the patient know about the treatment decision. Just to kind of tie in some loose ends here, so for the triage work that the ambulatory care pharmacists were doing, we were supported by a number of different things. So we had a specific phone number, providers and infusion center nurses could contact us directly if they had a question. We communicated daily through a live document of any updates, including drug supply, staffing, things like that. And we did track each patient in a secure spreadsheet to monitor and collect data essentially. And then our medication supply was always being managed by our hospital pharmacist and updating in real time in another live document so we always knew what medications were available to utilize. For future directions, this past summer, the FDA released a statement authorizing pharmacists to prescribe Paxlovid with certain limitations. With all the drug interactions and considerations for renal dose adjustments, it made sense for pharmacists to play a heavy role. So starting in August this year, our primary care pharmacist took on a new service for Paxlovid prescribing, and it is actually a new collaborative practice agreement that we added to our list of services. So if a patient needed Paxlovid, a provider would refer the patient to the pharmacist and then we would take it from there in evaluating drug interactions and send the prescription off from there. And it really honestly used this exact same workflow, just a few different changes. So we really concluded that the framework that we came up with for this outpatient COVID-19 treatment triage work, it could be applied to and utilized for many other situations where we have a drug in short supply. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more episodes from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basilega from ASHP Official and thank you for all you do for your patients.